The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Uh, this morning, we're back in the, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, so if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Matthew, chapter 17. And we're going to be looking at uh, one of the, the most powerful uh, stories in the entire Bible, let alone in the Gospels. It's one that's probably familiar uh, to many of you, it's the, the story of what is called the transfiguration of Jesus. And, and honestly, it's a story that goes uh, in chapter 17 from verse 1 through about verse 8 or 9 uh, or so, but we're going we're gonna to just look at the first two verses, kind of do the first part today, and then we're going to finish up next week. But there's so much here. Plus, it's the very first day of the new month of January, so we're going to be having communion. We get to be in the house of the Lord and commune with Him. Is that awesome? And we're going to be praying for people to get healed, and I have good news to report, God's been healing people. We serve a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God, a wonder-working God. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, so not only, you know, there's information and knowledge, and we're going to be studying uh, what, what happened the day that Jesus was transfigured, but I want to encourage you to pay attention because as you'll notice in, the, in your outline, the title of the message is How to Be Transformed. So what I want to start off by saying, and then we're going to pray, is that this is not, we're not just looking backwards at a very real, very dynamic, uh, supernatural, and by the way, it's the only time it ever happened in the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, this one time he was transfigured. But the other side of that coin is that it appeals to you and me. We're going to find out that the, the whole purpose of Jesus' transfiguration was so that you and I could also be transformed into the image of the Lord. Amen? So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this beginning of a brand new year, 2019. And we acknowledge and welcome, not only that we're here gathered together, we've got our Bibles or we've got whatever devices we have that we're going to look into your word and we're going to study and learn through Matthew as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, what transpired on that day that you were transfigured. But Lord, we're also listening for a word from on high, from our Father in heaven toward us. What is the application? What does that mean? to me uh, personally, each one of us individually. So you have a, a word that corporately will feed the body of Christ, but you have another word that is so personalized, it's like a whisper into the ear of every individual that is not only here, but is listening and watching online uh, to this message. Lord, you know everyone. You, you're watching them right now. You are observing them. You are seeing and hearing the thoughts that are going on inside of their minds. 
So, Lord, we, we just want to acknowledge you and welcome the Holy Spirit uh, that will lead and guide us into the truth. And knowing the truth, we will be set free as never before. We just thank you for hearing that prayer and that you will answer it in Jesus' wonderful, mighty, and precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So the transfiguration of Christ, and it really is kind of, the, this was the whole goal of Jesus' ministry, the ultimate revelation, is who Jesus' identity is, that he is the unique and only begotten Son of God. So from uh, verse 1, if, and here's the beginning, if you want to fill in the um, life application, first one that we have here. Here is a pattern in this story I'm gonna, that we're going to just start reading in just a moment. There's a pattern of the timing of the coming kingdom after six days. So that's what we read in chapter 17, beginning of verse 1. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, so that's the brother of James, James and John are brothers, and led them up the three of them, on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. So here's what I want to start with is, is when this happened. We're going to talk about what happened in just a moment, but when did this happen? Um, it, obviously, chapter 17 follows chapter 16. <laughs> well, what happened back in chapter 16? Jesus... Um, had gone to a specific place called Caesarea Philippi, which was the, the capital and the heart of paganism, idol worship, if I may say demonic, they worship demons there, gods and goddesses, and the Greek god Pan, and all of this, and, and it, there was so, it was kind of in the northern part of ancient Israel, from the time of ancient Canaanites, you remember the Canaanites, whom God finally, you know, removed from the land because of their idolatry, because of their demonic worship, and part of which was sacrificing babies to the various gods, Moloch, Baal, all the rest of that. And this place called Caesarea Philippi was literally called the gates of hell. It was a portal through which the, the, the demonic spirits came, manifest, and did all kinds of crazy things with the people who were praying for them and inviting them into their life and their culture, and that ultimately brought God's judgment. So amazingly, it is to the gates of hell that Jesus brought his disciples. This is back in chapter 16 of Matthew. He brought them all there, and he said, who do the people say that I am? It was the ultimate test of his discipleship for three years. And so they said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're maybe the prophet Jeremiah, some say maybe you're the Messiah, they, you know, a lot of different things. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And immediately Peter opened his mouth and said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was taken aback. I mean, not often do we find Jesus amazed, but he was amazed. But we know because of what he said to Peter, Peter, wow, you, you know who I am. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You've just had a divine revelation. My Father in heaven has let you see and know who I am. You are Peter, which is Petros, a little stone, but on this rock, 
the Petra. And I believe that part of that rock was Peter's confession that all who would confess the true identity of Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and on this rock, I, Jesus said, will build my church. And it was there in Caesarea Philippi that he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. I believe that, you know, and I shared this a few weeks ago when we were there in Matthew 16, Jesus went specifically to the gates of hell, a demonic portal, and he literally, as it were spiritually, grabbed uh, the, the, the gates of hell and ripped it out of the ground by its roots, flung it aside like the story of Samson in the Old Testament was supernatural strength, and said, now I'm coming into hell, and there's not a thing the devil can do about it, and I'm going to save men and women and boys and girls from every language, every nation, every kindred, and every tribe. Whoever believes in me and trusts in me and knows who I am and calls upon me shall be saved, and I'll bring them to heaven forevermore. So, then he began to tell his disciples in chapter 16, so guys, now you know who I am. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. We're, on, we're headed to Jerusalem. Let me tell you what's going to happen. They're arguing about he's going to bring his kingdom. He's going to use all that supernatural power. I mean, he raises. I mean, if you're dead, you get resurrected. If you're sick, you get healed. If you got demons in you, they come flying and screaming out of you. The guy walks on water. He has power over nature. Imagine when Jesus starts using his powers against Rome. He'll bring the kingdom. He'll fling those guys aside. And so they're arguing about who gets to sit on his right hand, who gets to sit on his left hand. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't get it. Before that, before that part of the kingdom comes, here's why now I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be violently beaten. And I'm going to die. That's why I came. I came to die. And I'm going to tell you how I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And that will prove not only I am who I claim to be, but that I have the power I claim to have. And once I conquer death, I got the devil, I got sin, I got it all. All the keys will be in my right hand. So that's what he's preparing them for. Now, chapter 17, so after all that, six days later, says Jesus takes them to a high mountain. And uh, so what I want you to know is that there were six days, and then we believe that it was on the seventh day that they, they got to the top of the mountain, this high mountain, and that's where the transfiguration took place. So six days, and then the transfiguration on day seven. Did you know many of our uh, believing brothers and sisters that were part of the early church so I'm, I'm not just talking about, you know, the Gospels and the, and the New Testament and the Book of Acts Church. I'm talking about those who followed right after them. They were discipled by John and Paul, but then they carried on into the next one to two hundred years. And did you know that many of those that are called variously the early church fathers believed that not only the Transfiguration was a model for believers, but the, the days that it happened, it was six days followed by the seventh a transfiguration. And in that, they saw a pattern of when the final glorious kingdom of heaven would come. In fact, they, they saw Matthew 17, the six days, and then on the seventh, 
the transfiguration, also a pattern in the very first couple of paragraphs of the Bible in the book of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all the heavens and the earth in how many days? Six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested from, from not because he was tired, but because he, he just let it be a Sabbath to enjoy. So interestingly, Adam and Eve were created on day six. So their first day was Sunday. They had a day off. How many think that's awesome? Start off on Sunday, start off with rest. Well, there were many believers in the early church and the early church fathers who actually wrote down their understanding and their belief. And again, they were trained and discipled by some of the early apostles like John and Peter and, and, uh, and Paul and so forth. And they believed well, in fact, I'm going to share with you why they believed it, because Peter taught it. He was one of their mentors. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Let's read it out loud. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So they actually, you can look it up and research, they, they actually said and believed that we believe that man's human history will be like the first six days of creation, but a thousand years per day. So man will be on the earth about 6,000 years, and at the beginning of the seventh day, or the 7,000 years, we find out in the book of Revelation that the millennial kingdom lasts for 1,000 years, or in God's estimation, one day. So you and I, I mean, I want you to think, now we're, we're thinking heavenly thoughts right from the Bible and what Peter said, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. So in heaven, so we look at it and go, man, Jesus has been gone. You know, he was here 2,000 years ago. But in the Lord's estimation, he goes, what are you talking about? I've, I've been gone over the weekend for a couple of days. I'm coming back tomorrow. <laughs> but also, if Jesus was here two days ago, before Jesus, there was another four days or 4,000 years. You put the 4,000 plus the 2,000, and we're basically right around the year 6,000. And here's what's interesting, because we're at 2019, right? Did you know that um, most uh, of the Bible scholars believe that our calendar is a little bit off, that Jesus wasn't born in year one or zero or whatever that is, but that actually, they believe it was probably more accurately uh, around 4 B.C. And here's the reason. Because, you remember Herod, the king, the rival who heard about the little baby that was born the king of the Jews, and Herod was threatened by that, and so he sent, you know, to kill all the babies two years of age and under? Well, guess what? Herod died in 4 B.C. So Jesus had to have been alive, so probably right around that time is when Jesus was actually born. So we're, our calendar is behind by four years. What I'm trying to say to you, it's later than you thought, and we're closer to the coming kingdom than we'd ever imagined. Now here's what's also interesting then, that when Jesus came, was born, and then how old was he when he began the first mission, which was to be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. How old was Jesus when he began his ministry? 30 years of age. So uh, here's what I want to say. Knowing that may, probably Jesus closer to, he was, you know, born in 4 BC, um, here's what I want to say, and I'm just throwing it out here right now that I think is very interesting. 
The parallel today would be the year 2026 would be right around uh, the 30th year of Jesus, uh, beginning maybe his second ministry, which is to come not as a lamb to be sacrificed, but as a lion to roar. So I'm not predicting anything, but here's what I will say. I believe with every fiber of my being, and if you go here for longer than about two weeks, you're going to know that I really believe we're living in the last days. That you and I have been chosen for whatever reason. I don't think it's because we're super cute or super spiritual, but we have been chosen to live in the most exciting hour of human history. You've been dropped into this time. You've been dropped into this time. And I want to say, it's not haphazard. There's a purpose. God, God didn't just, you know, spin a wheel or something. You were chosen. You have a divine assignment for this generation. You are a chosen people and a chosen generation, and God has a divine purpose for you. And I am telling you this. I, this is what I hear every time I go and pray before the throne of God. I, I feel, I hear, I see uh, th that the Lord is saying, Ray, wake up, tell my sheep to wake up. And beginning literally here now in the year 2019 from here until even 2026, I believe God is going to rock this world like and rock the nations of the world like you have never seen. I'm telling you, it's coming. Get ready. And we're getting close to His coming. So anyway, let's go on to the next uh, life lesson, a revelation of Christ's true identity to his inner circle. Again, verse 1, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, what's interesting here is, uh, you know, the, the previous chapter and story is Jesus being in Caesarea Philippi, and he's with all of the disciples, and who do you say that I am? But now the next chapter, we go to another level. We go to another degree. He, he's going up to the top now of this mountain, to be transfigured, but Jesus does not invite all of the disciples. He invites only three, Peter, James, and John, to witness this particular event. And I want you to, you know, either if you write and take notes, write this down or make a mental note. These three, Peter and James and John, by the way, they're an inner circle. So the Lord has probably hundreds and times thousands who follow him. But inside of that, there's a select group of 12 disciples. Of course, one's going to betray him, and he'll get replaced down the road. But he's got this 12. But know this, inside of the 12, he even has another inner circle of just three. One, and then two brothers. Know this, the kingdom of heaven is all about family. God loves to bring us in as couples, family, brothers, sisters, whatever. But how many of you, this, this is what I believe. Look, all who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved by grace are going to be in heaven. But there are, the Bible says not everybody is going to be rewarded the same. You're familiar with that, right? And therefore, there are different, you know, levels of intimacy, even in the earthly life of Jesus. And it seems to be by the rewards and so forth and responsibilities that will be given, kind of mirrored in heaven as well. What I'm saying is there is in the kingdom of heaven an inner circle. Family is part of it. It's royal, but God likes to give to those who are invested and those who are interested and those who desire it. He loves to share a little bit more if you're into a little bit more. How many of you would love to be part of an inner circle with Jesus? 
And I believe it's not just whom he selects and chooses, which is part of it, but the other part is I believe that if you had been with Peter and James and John, even among the disciples who were much more locked into Jesus than the other hundreds and thousands, but even inside of them, Peter, James, and John were different. They were special. They wanted to be really close to the Lord. So a little bit, it's not just how much he wants to be close to you, but how close do you want to be with him? What's interesting is that there were three occasions where these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, uniquely were brought in uh, to these three stories. Number one, you remember early in Jesus' ministry, there was a man named Jairus, and his daughter died, and it's one of the first times Jesus raises someone from the dead. So the, the disciples all go to the house, and everybody's crying, and there's Jairus, my daughter, and Jesus says, okay, I'm going to go in to where your daughter is dead. And by the way, Peter, James, and John, follow me. Only Peter, James, and John went in with Jesus to see it. The others were there. They were at the house, people outside the house, but there were three that were in the room when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's one. Number two, in a few months, as Jesus makes his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, all, the disciples are all there, then Judas leaves because he's going to do the betrayal, but then Jesus goes to pray again and to talk to his father again, and he says, Peter, James, and John, will you come and pray with me? So they're brought in again at a very, you know, uh, human moment where Jesus said, I need my friends. I need you, James, Peter, and John, to come and be with me. The third time that these three are in an inner circle where they alone experience something is right here in Matthew 17, the transfiguration. So here's the observation that's clear, easily seen. The story of Jairus, the story of Gethsemane, and now the story of the transfiguration, as we'll find out in a moment. All three of these stories have one thing in common, death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. So there's something about if you want to really press in, if you really want to divine, you know, dive in to the depths of the heart of your Savior and your Messiah and your Lord, there's something that He wants to reveal to you. And by the way, communion is a great time to, to meditate. And He said, I want you to remember every single time you take communion. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I did. I want you to remember what I went through and what I sacrificed. I want you to know how deeply, passionately, and intensely I love you. And I want it to impact you. And I want, you know, come in with me. And then I want you to experience the glory and the power and the victory, the almightiness of my resurrection. That's what it means to draw near and close to Jesus Christ. You're going to be drawn in to both his sufferings and death and into his resurrection. Now, it doesn't tell us which mountain. It only says in verse 1, a high mountain. So we have to try to do the best we can to put this together, and I, there, there is a common suggestion. If you want to write it down, you can write it down. It's called Mount Hermon. Why Mount Hermon? For a couple of reasons. Number one, the story in the previous chapter was Caesarea Philippi. Well, guess what? Caesarea Philippi, where the gates of hell was, was associated with Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon has a long, dark history of demonology, uh, witchcraft, sorcery, the occult, uh, the whole gamut. That's why it was called the gates of hell. It was, a, and C Caesarea Philippi was at the foothills 
of, of Mount Hermon. And guess what else? Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in the entire country of Israel. It's over 9,200 feet. 9,200 feet, that's, that's high. That's like the mount, some of the mountain ranges in Colorado. And by the way, if you didn't know this, it snows on Mount Hermon. Did you know there's snow in Israel? They even have a ski ranch. You can ski sometimes in the snow in Israel. So we believe that they went from Caesarea Philippi at the foot of the mountain to the top of the highest mountain on the earth, and that's where this took place. Okay, then let's go to the next life lesson real quick. In verse 2, here is the greatest confirmation yet of the deity of Jesus Christ. Because once they get to the top of the mountain, after six days and essentially on the seventh day, verse 2 says, it just goes right into it. He, Jesus, was transfigured right in front of them, before them. And what does that mean? Well, he goes on to explain, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. That word, and I put this in your notes, the word transfigured gives us our word metamorphosis. Well, in Greek, it's metamorphosis. That's the Greek word. And so I'm going to show you this picture. You all remember being in school. What a, that's the word that they use because metamorphosis is a change on the outside that comes from the inside. Remember, you know, being in school and I remember being a kid with my brothers and stuff, and every once in a while you'd see these little caterpillars. They were, you know, boys think they're kind of fun and cool, little slimy little guys, but they are pretty ugly. Would you agree with me? Caterpillars are pretty ugly. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. So that's what a little caterpillar is. It's an ugly little thing, but they're kind of fun and cool for boys or whatever. But then it makes a cocoon, and, you know, curious, oh, man, the cocoon, yeah, well, it's going to be a butterfly. What? Well, what is it now? You know, and you shouldn't, but then you did, and a little twig, and you pop, and it's like, there's goo inside. It's like, what happened? That caterpillar wove a little tomb and then melted or becomes goo. It totally changes its uh, atomic structure. But then you wait, and a little bit, and when the spring starts coming, and then it gets warm, and all of a sudden, some, this beautiful creature that is breathtaking and beautiful and so unlike the caterpillar comes out of it. I want you to know this, for those who did not know. Did you know that our earliest Christian brothers and sisters, one of their favorite pictures of being a Christian and the difference between our earthly body and our new heavenly body is like a butterfly. So they use the butterfly as a symbol of resurrection, transformation, transfiguration. And so this is, you know, as, as different from the caterpillar to the butterfly, so these bodies, hallelujah, we get a new version. A bigger, better, more beautiful glory. In fact, if, if we could see what we're going to look like then, we would be shocked. It'd be like, man, let's hurry up. Let's get to that. We want to be there. But the Lord was transfigured. I want you to note in that word transfigured, the Lord's glory was not reflected. He was not reflecting glory. Jesus was the source of the fire that looked like the sun. He radiated this fire and this glory, his face shining like the sun. Now, look, we have the sun, 
And even on a, you know, like especially in San Diego, we get a lot of sunny days, mostly sunny days. But, you know, parents, good parents, uh, tell their children, do not stare directly at the sun. You know, you can kind of glance at it, but do not stare at it. Because even though the sun is 93 million miles away, you stare at it, it'll burn your eye. It'll blind you. Now think about that. The glory of the sun, 93 million miles away. Did you know that one of the prophets said that when Jesus comes back, his glory will be seven times the brightness of the sun in its strength? Woo! Double the sun, triple it, quadruple, all the way up to seven times. Basically what that means is for when Jesus comes back, half the world will be in dark, half the world will be in light. Well, the half that's in light, it'll be so bright when Jesus comes. You say, how bright will it be? Let me tell you. It'll be so bright when Jesus comes, the sun will disappear. And all you will be able to see is the light of the glory of the resurrected Christ. Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, this is from another version. Let's read this out loud. It says it another way. His appearance changed from the inside out. Right before their eyes, sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. And I want to say this is the greatest confirmation of the deity of Christ yet until the resurrection. When he puts a stamp on it and proves it once and for all. This experience was witnessed by three disciples, Peter, James, and John. It so moved Peter that Peter wrote two letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and you, you could basically sum up. It had such an imprint on Peter. All he wanted to write or talk about was the second coming of Christ in his glory. You could sum up Peter's two letters by basically saying this. He was saying, dear brothers and sisters, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about persecution, suffering, pain, sacrifice, hardship. Jesus is coming. And when he comes, all your problems are going to go away. And he is going to be glorious. And that is all that really matters. It so impacted John that he wrote in his own gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, let's read it out loud, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John was imprinted with that glory, and then later in the Isle of Patmos, he was caught up on the Lord's day and had another vision of the resurrected, glorified Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, let's read this out loud. I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. The next two verses. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. John saw this. He wrote it. He recorded it. And believing is seeing. If Peter had made his confession after seeing the transfiguration, that would have been one thing. But Peter does it before he, he saw the glory of the Lord and he was moved by it. Some will say, show me and I will believe. Jesus says, believe and I will show you. And the last 
life lesson. I want to, now here's the application. I want to bring it home in the next couple of minutes before we share together in communion. Here's what the transfiguration that happened 2,000 years ago on the top of the high mountain means to you and me today. We, as believers, we, as sons and daughters of God, can share the image of Jesus Christ and go from glory to glory through the ministry of the Spirit of God. Where in the Bible does it say that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, our last scripture, let's read it out loud. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. All right, so you see that scripture? It's up here behind me. That word transformed, it's talking about we, the believers, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That word transformed is the same Greek word used in Matthew 17, verse 2, of Jesus. When it says Jesus was transfigured, we can all be transfigured, same Greek word, metamorphosis, from glory to glory, to glory, to glory. And in fact, Paul goes on to say there's a mirror, that all of us have been given a mirror. It's, it's not, a, to call it a magic mirror would be too small. It's a supernatural mirror, and it's available to all believers. And if you will use this supernatural mirror, you will see the resurrected glory of Jesus Christ and that image burning into you and upon you will begin transforming you, transfiguring you, metamorphosizing you from the inside out, and you'll start looking more and more and more and more like Jesus and experience more and more of His glory, His presence, His character, and His name. How many are interested to know where in the world is that mirror that I can start staring into? Hold up your Bible. There's the mirror, guys. This is the mirror. This is the mirror, the Word of God. Why? Because the mirror, when you look in the mirror, usually on earth, you look in the mirror, you see yourself. How many don't want to look at yourself? Done with that. Thank you. How many want to see Jesus? Yeah, I want to see Jesus. I got a mirror. When you look into this supernatural mirror, you see Jesus. It's called the Word of God. This is why I exhort, encourage you, be in the Bible. Put your face in front of the Word of God, not as a historical document, a philosophical document, or just knowledge and information thing, but it is divine, it's supernatural. When you mix faith like a child and the Holy Spirit, when you look into it, it doesn't matter where you look in the mirror from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see Jesus. That's what we read for. We're looking in the mirror, and if you're in, guess what? Jesus is in Genesis. Jesus is in Exodus. Jesus is in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. He's in all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Lamentations, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, all of them. He's all the way from Matthew to the book of Acts to the Gospels of the New Testament and, to the, and all the way to the book of Revelation. Jesus. And the more you see him, the more clearly you see him by divine revelation, it, it, you, it changes you. You, love, you fall more in love with him. But more than that, 
There is a dynamic power from the Holy Spirit that literally transforms you and gives you the power to live like Him, to be like Him, to desire what He desires. And the next thing you know, your eyes, Jesus is in your eyes, and you're seeing, and you're going, wow, I feel you, Jesus, and I'm seeing this through your eyes. That's what it means to have the Spirit in you. And now you begin to hear things. You hear things that nobody's talking, but you are dialing into that uh, tune like a radio. You hear the Holy Spirit, and he says all kinds of interesting, fascinating things. It's a relationship. He teaches us how to commune with God, our Father. We call him Abba, and we we, we uh, lock our hearts together. And then he puts feelings into you that are bigger and greater and deeper than your own. And emotionally... Woo, you start, man, you, you just start falling in love with the Lord and going deeper and deeper, transformed from glory to glory into His image. Can I hear an amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.